For those of us who remain, turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. This will be in Philippians 3, verses 17 through 21. And our most uh, recent time spent uh, in the book of Philippians found us identifying how a mature believer in Jesus Christ is to think. Uh, We are to uh, consciously, every day, understand that we are not saved by our own works. It's kind of a theme that we see in the third chapter of Philippians. We count all of our religious efforts to attain our own righteousness and our own righteous standing before God, we count them as rubbish unable to attain anything, loss. We must believe that God has given us His righteousness through faith alone in the finished work of His Son, Jesus. And that God's righteousness will live out then in our lives. It will live out in practical ways as God progressively makes us more and more like Jesus. And then at the end of our life, at the end of our days, glory. The resurrection and the final complete fulfillment of our being made into the image of Jesus in a resurrected body like His. We are to live then today seeking Jesus above all else, seeking His righteousness above all else in our lives, seeking to think and live and act in accordance with who Jesus is. Because that is what is best. We saw Paul say, I have not already attained this perfection that we will have in the resurrection, but forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards this perfection. I press on toward that glory that awaits me in the resurrection. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Now, if you're anything like me, after our last sermon and focusing on that part of Scripture, you heard that call and you were fired up. You get excited about following Jesus when you hear the truth of what he has done for us, who he has uh, proclaimed himself to be, who we are now in him, and what he freely gives us by faith. We hear about what Jesus has already accomplished, the resurrection, yet future, it's ours. And because of the truth, because of it, those three beautiful words, it is finished, it's done It's accomplished. He's done it all. I believe and I want to pursue him. I want to live for Jesus. I want to read his word. I want to know what he wants for me in my life. I want to believe more and more that it's what's best. And I want to experience that more and more in my life. And again, trusting, depending upon God to help me in this. I leave passages of scripture like that saying yes 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 lord give it to me i want it i believe and i want to follow help me 
And then I go throughout my week. I go home. I get tired. I try and invest myself in the Lord, invest myself in others. And I do this on a pretty consistent basis. And then I start feeling the complexities of different households. And things that are going on, the realities of sorrows and sin and fighting for Jesus in the midst of a fallen world. And as I reach out to others and I bear burdens with them, I reach the end of days feeling emotionally spent. And all I want is to walk into a nice, calm, collected house where I can simply hug my wife and hug my kids and we can have a nice, calm and quiet evening together. Sometimes I desire this without even realizing I'm desiring it. It's just I want to, I want to go home and have these things. <laughs> Again, not, not so much intentionally, but it's there. I, I have to be honest with you, it's there. And then I open the door And the beauty of the reality of what's going on is there, but I can't see it. I have six kids, ages 1 to 12. I have a wife who's been doing everything she can do throughout the day to serve, teach, and lead our children through their own heart issues. And they're at differing levels in development from a 1-year-old to a 12-year-old. And I can immediately tell she just wants me to engage and take over so she can have a break. She's looking at me like, help! She wants somebody to invest in her for a change. And though I want to follow Jesus, I get in the house and at times I feel overwhelmed. And there's been times where I'm, I can't do it. There's too much weight. And even though I know that I'm to bring my weight to Jesus, and I'm to trust in Him, and I know the truth, sometimes in that moment, it still feels like it's too much. Beloved, this is real life. It's the reality of my sinful, depraved heart that I must fight against. And hopefully, hopefully, although this is a story of my life that I want to share, hopefully we can all identify with pieces of the story of how we can get so tight. We can get fired up for Jesus in the moment and want to follow Him and give our all to Him. And that old self still comes out. And we feel like we can't win on our own. Where do we go? Where do we go when we get into these places? Again, I know the truth. And I want the truth. And I want to live out the truth. And I know Jesus is enough, but I'm still struggling to win right now on my own. Even though I know he's with me. Well, let me tell you where I have gone. As I'm describing this real-life situation to you, let me tell you where I went then. This particular night, 
I asked Naomi and I said, Naomi, I need like just a little bit of time. <laughs> Give me like 15 minutes or so to be alone in our room. I just need to like decompress. And Naomi graciously grants this to me, which turned into much more like 25, 30 minutes to be truthful. And I locked myself in our room and I called a pastor in our church. And I informed him of my day. And I informed him of what's going on. And I simply asked, I need you to pray with me and I need you to pray for me right now. Will you do that? And I just sat there and I didn't even pray, to be honest with you. But I listened to his prayers for me and for the situations that I was dealing with. And his prayers were filled, absolutely filled with scripture. And it helped lead my heart to the truth, which God then used to stabilize my heart. It gave me a firm foundation. And it was interesting because some of the truths that were being prayed for, some of the things that were being spoken out to God by my brother in Christ, these are truths I was rehearsing in the day earlier in my own heart and in my own mind and asking God, please help me to walk through this knowing this truth. Help me to respond correctly for your honor and for your glory. And for some reason, I was struggling with it. But when my brother prayed some of these same truths, I was comforted. And God met me there. I needed someone else to model it for me. I needed someone else to pray with me and pray for me. I was also then affirmed in his prayers, and he spoke with words, again, of affirmation. And our focus together was on pursuing Jesus and the reality of life and the reality of what I was dealing with and my friend as my mentor in Jesus. As he prayed, I was strengthened. I was encouraged to go back downstairs to my wife and to my family and to do what God has called me to do as the dad and as the husband to point them to Jesus as well. To point them to his word. To point them not only in my words, but in my deeds. And you know what? My brother helped me with that. In a very, very real way. You see, this true story is a living example of what we all need in our lives as we pursue Jesus, we need each other. We need each other. God did not make us to pursue following Jesus alone. That's your first fill in the blank. God did not make us to pursue following Jesus alone. We need one another. We need to be used in other people's lives, pointing them to the Savior. But we also are all we are all in desperate need of mentorship. So who do you call that you know will give you the truth? Who do you call when you know that the answer that they give you, it will be straight and what you need to hear? At times, even correction, admonishing you. 
Who do you know that will in all situations strive to point you to Jesus? Whose example can you follow in your life? For the Philippian church, Paul says this. He says, imitate me. And he says, imitate your leaders. And he says it because, again, we're meant to pursue following Jesus together. Not alone. So let's look at the text this morning for truth, for encouragement, and for direction in our lives as we will be focusing on mentorship and one another following Christ, looking for mentors and striving to be a mentor to others in their lives. Hopefully we are all in Philippians chapter 3 by now. Would you stand with me in the honor of reading God's word? It says this, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the examples you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame. Or they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you again for the truth of your word, how it speaks truth into our lives that shows us what we need. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God, that you always provide what we need in your Son. And you give us such a blessing in our church family. So God, as we together sit under the teaching of your inspired and errant word, I pray that you would work in each one of our hearts. Lord, would we believe the truth? Would we pursue you in obedience to your truth, Lord, that you would work in us, making us more like your son, Jesus, that you might work through us unto one another and unto this world that needs you so desperately. Father, would you accomplish that? For the glory of your great name we do ask. Amen. Let's be seated. So our text opens up with Paul simply stating something, saying, imitate me. Paul says, imitate me on your outline. So Paul was a part of the church planting team that started the church at Philippi back at its beginnings. So the church, as we have been studying, knew him very intimately. They had seen him face trials when he was in their midst. And now the Philippian believers were facing trials. Paul instructed them to face their trials the same way that they saw Paul facing trials when he was with them, correct? We've seen this going on in the book. And then the Philippians had heard about how Paul was facing different trials as he was away from them. Persecutions for Christ since he left Philippi. Again, 
We've seen throughout the book this idea of Paul saying, hey, imitate me. But here he says it clearly. The Philippian church had heard Paul preach. They had watched him practice what he had preached in their midst. He was a missionary. As an apostle, a pastor, a missionary, he was a leader in the church. And so he says, imitate me. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 1, he says the same thing and he puts it this way. It's a really important note here. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Paul is telling the Philippians to imitate him as he was reproducing himself in the leader's who were there in his midst. He was reproducing himself in Timothy as one who was following Christ. So as I'm following Christ, if you follow me, you will follow Jesus. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.13, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So if you say the words that I've said, Timothy... You're going to be saying the words of Christ to others. Imitate me. And then back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says this. He says it again. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere And in every church. We understand that Paul was so... He understood this principle of mentorship so much in his life that he was investing in others and telling others, imitate me as I imitate Christ to the point to where when he sent Timothy to the church at Corinth, he says, listen to what he says and watch what he does because he is going to be emulating me. The words that he says have the same authority as if I was saying them. What he does, he's representing me. And in so doing, he's representing Jesus. That's quite quite a mentorship, right? That's incredible. It's this kind of idea that links us back to Philippians 3.17. Paul says, imitate me, but he doesn't just say, imitate me. He says this, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. It's those who he has invested in and they're following Christ just like him, so they're unified in these things. Follow those in your midst who are following Jesus. Imitate them. Imitate me as I'm following Jesus. He says, keep your eyes on them. This keep your eyes on, what it's referring to is it means to fix your gaze upon something or to take aim at it. And this is a perfect time of year to talk about this. Because hunting season is upon us. So imagine you're looking through the sights of your rifle. 
or currently through the sights of your bow. And you're focusing in on your target. Well, for us as Christians, the target that we're going for is Christ-likeness. That's our target. It's living practically now the reality of who we are in Christ and what we will perfectly be in the resurrection. Do it now. Live it now. Christ-likeness is the target. Well, God is gracious to us. And in order to help us understand the target and see it more clearly up close and in person, God has placed His servants as images right in front of our sights. Again, they're not perfect. But they're maturing, growing Christians. And they are real life examples of Jesus and his gospel. So we take aim at them. That's what he's saying. Think about that. Take aim at me. Take aim at your leadership. And as you're taking aim at us, you're taking aim at Jesus. That is intense. <laughs> it puts leadership on a whole nother level of responsibility, doesn't it? Now again, this most certainly includes the leadership of the church as he's going back and forth between false teachers and false leaders, the Judaizers there in their midst. He's saying, follow those who are in your midst who are true leaders, but it doesn't have to be limited to the leaders of the church. Take aim at those who are mature in their faith, those who you can see following Jesus. But again, I want us to understand just briefly the understanding in the text of leadership. If I'm called into leadership in a local church setting, or if I'm a missionary, I'm called to follow Jesus and lead others and following Jesus, well then one of the things that comes along with being a leader is others need to take careful attention of your life. So we must not enter into leadership without caution. We need to understand what's at stake. Pay careful attention to your life, Larry. When I read this text, Jesus says, by imitating me, by imitating you, I should say, they're imitating me. So for me, I must ask myself, as you guys are looking at me, do you see Jesus? When you imitate my actions, will you be imitating the actions of our Lord? It's huge. Tremendous responsibility. It cannot be taken lightly. That's why James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness.
the word of warning as we look at this as well. Another word of warning as I went through this myself personally. The servant of Jesus never, ever, ever takes the place of Jesus. The purpose is pointing others to the Savior. We are imperfect vessels used by God's perfect plan and His wisdom and His sovereignty to point to the perfect one. (laughs) Isn't that marvelous grace? That God can use us to do that? Imperfect sinners like us can point others to Jesus? God would not call us to this task if He didn't promise to accomplish it in us and through us. So while there is a word of caution and a word of warning, the caution is take it seriously. The warning is not do not pursue this. No, pursue it. Be a mentor. Lead others to Jesus. Take it seriously in your life. Growth in godliness is enhanced when we are influenced by the right spiritual mentors. Growth in godliness in each individual life is enhanced when we're together, when we are influenced by right spiritual mentors. So, number one, we must seek out mentorship. We must seek out ones who define or are defined by what we've been discussing. Two principles I want to see that we can pull straight out of the text of what to look for in a mentor. Our mentors need to be just that, mentors. There is a clear understanding here that a mentor is a mature Christian. Someone who can we can look to for truth. Someone who we can look to for an example of the living truth. Again, not perfect, but an example of one who has pursued Christ and is mature in that. So seek out someone who is wise. Seek out someone who is mature. Choose your mentors well. Look for wisdom. Look for maturity in Christ. Look for those who are following Jesus and you can see it clearly. They speak of him often. And it's not those simple Sunday school answers that we've heard since we were in the fourth grade. There's depth. There's richness in what they say. They bring scripture verses in to their counsel when they speak with you. Wise, mature mentors. I'm saying this on purpose because I want us to understand something. When we get together and we are fellow disciples of Jesus Christ and we strive to grow together, the reality of what happens is that when Pastor Bob mentors me, my hope... (laughs) I should have thought of this before I said it. My hope is that Pastor Bob grows as well. (laughs) As he's mentoring me, he is growing in Christ as well. So we grow together. So we we don't look at mentorship and discipleship relationships like, oh, I have it all together and you need to come and follow me so that you know how to follow Jesus. That's not 
what it's about if you're a mentor. You, you go into the relationship understanding your need, and that actually is mature. Okay? You go into the relationship, and you strive to help somebody with the wisdom God has given you through a life pursuing Him, and you strive to give the word which is necessary. And as you're doing that, they bring things to you, and you both grow together. It's, it's a beautiful thing as they bring truth that you weren't thinking of. And as you're seeking to disciple them, you're being discipled by Christ. Now this idea has led some people to believe, well, when I look for a mentor, I can find just look for anybody. Look for anybody who wants to study the Word. And I would say that's good for accountability purposes of trying to grow together, but mentorship is looking for someone like Paul and those who he is writing to. Someone who has been in Christ and followed him longer and has been through life circumstances that they can share wisdom with you. You're looking for somebody that you can look up to in Christ. Is that, is that helpful? Does that make sense? When you're looking for someone to mentor you, look for wisdom, look for maturity in Christ. Understand this. When, uh, well, let's go on to number two, okay? Number two is multiple mentors. Look for multiple mentors. Paul says, imitate me, but he also says, follow the examples of those in your midst, right? And this is important. When we get just one mentor in, in our life, that's great. We can tend to have a really, really close relationship with them, and their strengths tend to be our gains, right? Because it's a really close relationship. Well, an issue that can come along as a result of this, of just one mentor, is then their weaknesses also become your weaknesses. What a multitude of mentors does is God uses the strengths and the weaknesses of the body together to help us grow to full maturity. So where one of our mentors might be weak, another might be strong. And they can help us in our growth to be more, uh, more of a well-rounded, mature Christian. Is that helpful? Very, very practical what's going on in the text. Look for wise, mature mentors and look for a multitude, multiple mentors. Okay, but then number two... I think what also is in the text is we need to strive to be a mentor ourselves. Paul is giving us himself as an example. He puts himself out there. So he's saying, hey, you do like me, <laughs> right? Imitate me. Well, if we're doing what he's doing, if we're going to imitate him, eventually we have to get to a place where we say, hey, others imitate me. We must strive to be mentors ourselves. And understand this, there are always people to invest in. 
There are always people, if you are in Christ, there is always somebody that you can share what you know. You have the gospel message. As you study scripture and you learn, what you learn, you can share. And as you grow in it and as you walk in it, you can share that wisdom with others. Who here in our midst is a parent? Who here in our midst is a grandparent? Who here in our midst has younger siblings? Who here in our midst is a part of a family? Who's a part of a family of faith? Every hand is going up in our hearts, right? Somehow we fit into, if not one, maybe all of those categories, right? Hey, if you are a parent, if you're a grandparent, your job, what God has called you to, is mentorship, it's discipleship, it's teaching your children, it's teaching your grandchildren. If you're a member of this church family, we are to practice and participate in the one another's together. We are to invest in one another. Look for people in our church family who you can be a mentor figure to. So again, ask. Ask yourself, how am I leading others? Am I leading others to Jesus? Can I think of individuals that I'm pursuing? I'm specifically reaching out to them. And trying to mentor them in Christ. Am I being effective? When others see me, can they take aim at me? And will their aim then be right through me to Jesus? Again, growth in godliness is enhanced when we are influenced by the right spiritual mentors. And I identified and put in italics there on your outline, the right spiritual mentors. Because we have a few principles we just went through in order to who should we be looking for? What type of an individual should we be looking for for mentorship? But there's also in the text those who are not the right mentors, the wrong spiritual mentors. Philippians 3.18 says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Again, more than likely, Paul is referring to the Judaizers that he has been bringing up several times in the book thus far. Those who add observance to the Mosaic law in order to gain a righteous standing before God, achieving your own salvation. And he emphasizes again, any adding to the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, Adding our own works, it's polar opposite to the gospel. He calls individuals enemies of the cross of Christ. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. There is no middle ground. This again is a warning to watch out for false teachers. These false leaders in the church, they're still out there, beloved. This wasn't just... In the first century church, we have them in the church today. Jesus warned of it, right? Tares amongst the wheat. Unbelievers coming in. Be careful. Watch out for them. There's no middle ground. If they're adding to the work of Christ, 
They're enemies of the cross. And they give some great practical advice from verse 19 of how to identify these false teachers. He helps us to see characteristics of them. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Their end is destruction. This again is speaking to their final end. It's speaking to destruction of eternal death that awaits. Though in this life they might look successful, understand success and what this world says is successful is not eternal success. Because their God is not the one true living God. Their God is not Jesus Christ, but their God is their own belly. So destruction awaits them. Their God is their own belly. What this means is that they are their own God. Their desires are what rule over them. It refers to sinful and sensual lusts. It means what rules your heart, what rules your thoughts, is not constantly pursuing Jesus. And wanting to draw near to him. And wanting to know what he says about circumstances. But I go throughout my life just thinking about myself. I make decisions based on what I think. And the appetites, the desires that you have, they overwhelm you. And that's what you pursue. They glory in their shame. Again, their glory is themselves. They seek to build their own kingdom here on earth. But the truth is that this kingdom of themselves is really their downfall. It's their shame. It's interesting because if you actually meet individuals that push and push and push and pursue worldly things, worldly pleasures, and you talk to them about what they've attained and the satisfaction that they have in their hearts as a result of attaining, you find that there's emptiness and sorrow and the feeling of being alone. Ashamed. Well, I I guess I got to attain more because what I thought would give me satisfaction isn't. And it's your downfall. Again, they have minds set on earthly things, always to trying to get a way up in life. Listen to what people talk about. Is it about Jesus? Is it about the truth of his kingdom? Is it about following him and being a servant to others? Or is it about money? Is it about prestige at work? Is it about building your own kingdom and all the projects that you have going on? And the beautiful cars that you drive and the toys that you have and fun here on earth? Is it power? Is what we talk about the here and now? Or is it about Christ and the eternal? 
Earlier in chapter 3, Paul says, look out for these dogs. And I think as we go through them, not only is it identifying who the dogs are, but it's showing us our own sinfulness, isn't it? And it's showing my, my complete and utter need for Christ. And say, God, would you please free me from these that still too often grip me? God, would you make me then the, the opposite of this? The distinction then comes between these false teachers and true believers. Verse 20. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven. Do you see that distinction? They're living for the here and now. But Christian, our citizenship is not here and now. It's in heaven. And from it, we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, eternal He's going to transform our lowly body. Man, we're suffering now. This body is dying. It's getting kind of flabby. (laughs) I'm having more aches and pains. I go and I do work and I'm way more sore for way longer now. (laughs) Well, he's going to transform this lowly body to be like his glorious body not in this life but at the rapture by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself again it helps us to identify the false teachers but these These verses show us what do we need to be pursuing. Citizenship of heaven. Philippi understood this very, very clearly. When we had our opening sermon about the book of Philippians, we talked about how Philippi was a Roman colony. Their king was in Rome. But they enjoyed all the blessings of being a colony of Rome. All the blessings of being a citizen of Rome. In that kingdom. Oh, beloved, our kingdom is a heavenly kingdom. We are citizens of heaven. And we're living in a colony here on earth. But we enjoy the blessings of our king. They're not going to be the blessings of this life. We need to get that clear. Does God bless us? Is he gracious in giving us many things in this life we don't deserve? Yes, he is. But that is not our hope. That's not what we cling to. Ephesians chapter 1, read it. It's all the blessings that we have in Christ because we're in him that he chose to give us before the foundations of the world. All the blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, they're ours. They're yours. They're mine. They're promised. It's set in stone. And we get it in glory. And we participate in that beautiful relationship and getting bits and pieces of it now as we follow God. Our citizenship is in heaven. Keep your focus there. Awaiting our Savior, 
and his final salvation is the final fill in the blank there. Await means to eagerly anticipate. It's not like we're sitting here and, you know, waiting, uh, what's this, waiting as the paint dries. I, I, sorry, I can't remember the, watching the paint dry. Thank you. We're not just sitting here bored and just passing time. No, we are eagerly waiting for it. And we are acting now as we're waiting. We're not sitting still. We're looking towards what's coming and we can't wait for it. So let's get ready. Let's go live live as if it's a reality now. Let's press on. Let's pursue Christ. Keep our focus on Him and push one another. Do it together. Find mentors. Be mentored yourself. And find people that you can mentor and pursue Christ. We're waiting for Jesus. And we're waiting for the final fulfillment of the salvation He accomplished for us on the cross. And I tell you what, as I read through this, and I read through the end of our bodies being transformed, you know, sometimes i got to admit to you that in my fallenness, I read through passages like that and, and the weight of it doesn't hit me until we go through seasons like we're going through right now at KBC. When there really is a lot of the reality of sin and death and destruction as we watch loved ones, family members, faith family members go and suffer at the end of life And go and be with the Savior. And it's hard. It's so hard. And this is a real hope. This is a real hope that's bigger than death. It's bigger than the suffering that we go through as our bodies fall apart because of sin. Jesus has done it all for us. And as we love our loved ones and care for them and serve them, the hope of glory, the hope of what we know they await if they're in Christ and the hope that we know we await is our motivation to then go. And even though it's hard to serve them the way Jesus serves them now, to care for them as they suffer, to not turn our back on them and put them in a home and have nothing to do with them, but to really give, to serve them hard and serve them well. This is what Christ calls us to. And I have watched this church do this. And you are inspiring to me and you're inspiring to the young families of our church as we watch you care for each other, as we watch you care for your parents. Keep it up. Keep your focus on glory and what Jesus Christ has done and will do. And serve hard, serve faithfully now. Younger families, get involved in this. Visit. Go and be with those who are struggling. Don't run from it. Run to them. You might not know what to say, but that's okay. Just go and show that you care. And God ministers to us. 
mentorship. Follow mature citizens of heaven. Look for someone to mentor you, someone who's wise, someone who's mature. Look for multiple mentors. Strive to be a mentor yourself. Watch out for those wrong spiritual mentors that will lead you astray. And again, focus on heaven. Focus on the Savior who's coming. Focus on the final salvation that he brings and live in light of it now. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much again for your grace. Thank you so much for how you give us one another. And God, we are so much stronger together when we go through life, when we go through the the difficulties that life brings our way, when we go through it together, God, we're strong. I love this church so much. I'm thankful for how they teach our kids how to love one another. They teach us how to be involved in each other's lives. God, help us to not be satisfied. Help us to keep growing in this. Help us to mentor our younger men. Help us to mentor our younger women. Help us to mentor our children. That this would be a a church filled with Jesus followers. Not just proclaimers, but real life Jesus followers. God, that you would be shown to be in our midst and working in us and transforming us. That we would be effective households that could go into this community and preach the gospel in word and in deed and see many, Father, many come to you in repentance and faith. You can do this, God. And we trust you to do it. Help us to believe you, to follow by faith. For the glory of Christ, we do ask these things.